So you may have remembered that I talked about a new supplement called Get Dopa. Now, I have now been taking Get Dopa for about three months now, every single day. And I have to say, I'm very excited that I'm bringing them back as a sponsor for the podcast because it works. Get Dopa has combined lots of the different supplements I was taking and just put them into one. So it's only three supplement tablets a day. And these combined are 16 powerful nootropic ingredients in the one smart supplement. It's really clever. And it's been created by a neurodivergent person. His name is Matt Buff. I've chatted to him and he's so passionate in helping neurodivergent brains thrive, feel regulated, less anxious, more clarity. And I have to say, I have really been surprised by the impact that Get Doper has had on my working day, feeling much more calm, my memory, my energy, my cognition, my focus, my mood has been significantly improved. I've just felt like a better version of me taking Get Dopa. So I really wanted to be able to share this with you. Now, many of you have messaged me to say that you have bought it using the code, which is Kate10, and you have also noticed a difference. Now, you can take Get Dopa alongside medication or instead of medication if medication is not for you. And it has been celebrated by many different lifestyle medicine practitioners. Also, Dr. Rachel Gow, who is a nutritional neuroscientist who I've worked with, who is on the podcast, is also part of my ADHD Women's Wellbeing Hormone Series, and also Sarah Osborne, who is also an ADHD nutritionist. And they're all saying the same thing, that the fantastic, unique formulation, which is incorporating a blend of ingredients renowned for their cognitive, energy-boosting and mood-enhancing properties, is a fantastic supplement for ADHD. So I want you to have a look on the show notes or go to the link. It's getdopa.com. And if you use my discount Kate10, you'll get a 10% discount. Head to getdopa.com, put in my discount code, and that should give you an opportunity to buy it at a slightly lower rate. I hope it really helps you. And please do message and let me know. We'd love to hear. Okay, now back to today's episode. Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach. EFT practitioner, mum to four kids and passionate about helping more women to understand and accept their amazing ADHD brains. After speaking to many women just like me and probably you, I know there is a need for more health and lifestyle support for women newly diagnosed with ADHD. In these conversations, you'll learn from insightful guests, hear new findings and discover powerful perspectives and lifestyle tools to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and purposeful life wherever you are on your ADHD journey. Here's today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast and this is actually also going to be in the ADHD Women's Hormone Series as well. I'm so excited to bring in a really interesting guest and someone who I believe should be able to speak to so many different women and her name is Victoria White. She comes under the name Neurodivergent Birth on Instagram Victoria is a birth and postnatal doula who supports families through pregnancy, birth and beyond. 
And she believes birthing people have the right to a positive birth and postnatal experience. And this can be achieved through the consistent help of compassionate support. Now, you're based in Aberdeen in Scotland, and you've also been trained as a traumatic birth recovery, three-step rewind practitioner. Sounds interesting. I want to ask ask more questions about that. A perinatal emotional health and well-being practitioner. And she also is the mum of two girls, one of them who has been diagnosed autistic and ADHD. And you are passionate about improving the support of neurodivergent people perinatally. So, you know, I'm delighted. I can't believe that we've not really had this kind of conversation before um, yeah. on my platform. So I'm just really happy to have you here, Victoria. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Kate. It's amazing to be here. So, yeah, it's a really interesting conversation. And it, and weirdly, I was only talking to my daughter, who's 15, about two days mm. ago about what a doula is. and never talk about it. Okay. And because um, she wanted to know what the difference between a midwife and a doula was so perhaps maybe we can yeah. just start with that just to give yeah. a little bit of context and then we can move into sort of sure. more of the neurodivergent side it's a good place to start so yeah a doula is somebody who provides continuous uh, practical and emotional support for birthing people and their families so this can be antenatally as we're preparing for birth can be at births themselves and then postnatally as well there's a great um, role that a doula can play in supporting new families doulas are also really passionate about making sure that they signpost their clients to good quality evidence-based information so the role is definitely not a replacement for a birth partner or a midwife you know there's absolutely no clinical care offered by a doula and we have to be really clear about that but I think what we can do is is plug some of those gaps that um, unfortunately we just can't access these days in our maternity services around continuity we really get that um, opportunity to develop a long-standing relationship with our clients really get to know them and develop trust and understanding so yeah, in a nutshell, that's what a, what a doula, the role of the doula is. Yeah. yeah, and you can understand why a doula would be an amazing addition for someone who is neurodivergent going through the perinatal process. Um, I mean, yes. what I would love to know is why do you believe that we need to maybe support neurodivergent people going through this process what are you noticing um that perhaps the more the challenges more of the struggles than say neurotypical mm. yeah you know at the time when my own daughter was being diagnosed um and I, I was really getting into this to my stride with my birth work I myself became super hyper focused on on well the two I've always been hyper focused on this topic of birth but on the topic of neurodivergence as well and it really um it was really clear to me that there are so many elements of the whole perinatal journey for want of a better word that can be differently experienced by neurodivergent people and in many ways the the challenges can be that many of us experience can be more magnified for neurodivergent people and there are some positives too and I think it's important to always look at those as well and not just talk about kind of negatives all the time but for example I mean the themes that we often cover and I run a workshop for birth workers with another doula looking exactly at this this question and the themes that we cover are around sensory processing communication executive functioning and mental health particularly anxiety so the sensory processing side of things is fascinating and when we think about 
people who might have some sensory processing differences, they may be sensory seeking at times or avoidant of sensory stimuli. And we think about the whole journey, right from conceiving through to having a newborn baby and all the sensory elements of that, how we feel in our bodies, right? When we're pregnant, we get this, some of us will really perhaps struggle with uh, feelings of nausea and you know many people really do struggle with hyperemesis. Our body starts to change so just the way we move in our body is different. We Our interoception changes so how we um, experience thirst and hunger and tiredness and then also you know the physical feelings of having a baby moving inside of us and I think it's really important to normalize that That is not a joyful feeling for everybody or elements of it might feel good and you you might appreciate the kind of connection with the baby. But at other times, you know, some people can really feel quite uncomfortable about that sensory experience. And then with that might come some shame and feelings of guilt about not being in love with that experience, like we're sort of told by society that we're supposed to feel. Birth itself is obviously a hugely sensory experience and when we look at the postnatal period it's huge everything that this little person in your life is kind of outputting is very sensory we've got you know the noise we've got the need to be physically kind of in contact with us all the time particularly in those early uh, days and weeks the vomiting and the weeing and the pooing and yeah it's it just can kind of all culminate in this quite overwhelming period for people so i think it's important to have awareness around how some people experience that time and also for us to share with pregnant neurodivergent people what what some of the things, some of the challenges and some of the positives might be because if it is your first time as a pregnant person, you're not necessarily going to know where the points where you might need more support are going to come up until you're in it, Yeah, if that makes sense. I mean, it sounds so valuable, but also so validating because, you know, so many yeah. of us are only getting our diagnoses much later on, way after childbirth, mostly perhaps because of a child being diagnosed. So we're sort of almost out of that place. But what you're describing now is almost a way to heal retrospectively of that awareness and that acknowledgement of what we went through and the self-punishment and all the things like you say of like, I should be feeling this, but I'm not, or I should be connecting better or the sensory side. What I would have loved to have had back then, I had my first child actually when I was 25, which was relatively young and I had absolutely no idea about neurodivergence, ADHD, like nothing. But when you talk about all those things then, I really like, that was just like flagging up all sorts of things that was going on. And there was just so much kind of, this is, you're a woman, like you should know this. You're a mother, like why are you not kind of understanding this? Like, why is the sensory part so hard? Why is it when he cries, it's like, it's piercing through your skull. And um, now I wish that I could give myself that compassion looking back. So are you finding that, the people that are coming to you who are going through this process from the very beginning, it's almost like the awareness is so key of that recognition of this is what could potentially happen or this is what you may find challenging. And when it happens, it's not like, oh my God, you know, what is this thing? It's almost like prevention and Mm. the bigger picture when we know 
how many women, I know specifically neurodivergent women really do um, struggle on a higher percentage of postnatal depression, postnatal psychosis, like it's very, very real this, you know, unfortunately we've got statistics of, you know, postnatal suicide as well. So what you're doing from the very beginning of building these foundations, this understanding, this awareness, this self-compassion can have such a big impact moving forward as a parent. Are you sort of, I guess when you're doing this work from the very beginning, can you sort of see like, wow, this is really powerful stuff moving forwards? Yeah. I get kind of like, it's cliche, but I get really goosebumpy about it because I'm earlier this year, I launched a podcast. It's called the Neurodivergent Birth Podcast. And it's so interesting, Kate, because I think, you know, probably 90% of the people that I've spoken to on that podcast about their perinatal experiences as neurodivergent people are looking back with a lens of neurodivergence that they didn't have at the time when they were having their babies. So it is hugely validating to be able to look back and, and sort of think, with compassion. Yes, that was a difficult experience. And these are some of the reasons why. And it wasn't because I was useless getting it wrong or whatever, you know, some of our uh, critical inner critic might have been saying to us. And I'm also getting messages from people who are pregnant right now who do know that they're neurodivergent because I think we're in this real kind of time of change and momentum and awareness. And they're hugely validated because they found a place where people are saying, yeah, this, this is how it was for me. And it validates what they're going through as well. I think as well, a lot of neurodivergent people identify as being very kind of motivated to learn everything they can about topics like pregnancy and birth when they're pregnant and to really perhaps get caught up in the shoulds, right? And learning about, you know, perhaps with some rigid thinking about how things are going to to be and there's an element of control and I absolutely identify with this myself you know I really wanted to be in control of absolutely everything that was how I, my life had been led up to that point and I wasn't going to do anything differently in pregnancy and childbirth but then the reality was when there were times where things felt very out of control or things didn't mirror what I was reading in the books or on the um on the internet and that brought a great deal of I was very distraught with with that with the fact that I wasn't experiencing things as I perceived I should be experiencing them so it can it can really lead to a lot of anxiety and mental health issues at that time and then obviously your listeners will know all about hormones from the amazing work that you do talking about the relationship between hormones and ADHD but we've got all the hormone shifts going on as well so that can um really, really impact how we're feeling as well. And particularly with ADHD, that post-childbirth kind of crash in oestrogen, and it is a huge crash, can really exacerbate symptoms. And I was reading, I think it was a 2021 study that found that, you know, unfortunately on average, different studies quote different things, but between 14 and 20% of people who have babies may experience postnatal depression to some degree. For people with ADHD, that goes up to 57.6%. So it really is an issue and it's something that we definitely need to be talking about and kind of preparing people for that time when we have that big hormonal crash and how yeah. to how to manage some of that and how to seek support if needed. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that statistic is actually startling and yeah. we do need to know about that. And the more we talk about it and normalize it, then it's okay, what can we 
put in place? What support can we put in place? Because um, we don't want to be left in a situation where that does happen and we've not prepared for it. Just the practicalities of can we get someone to come in every day and watch the baby while we're asleep? Can someone bring food in? Can we hire a cleaner for this time? Can we have some option of being able to give the the mum that opportunity to rest, sleep, to have some downtime, to go for a walk. Because these are the little things that can impact, um, you know, how we feel postnatally. And when we, people talk about the baby blues, you know, especially when the milk comes in. And like you say, it's that sort of few days, three days from what I remember, it's like the three days after and your milk comes in, it's just like, oh my goodness, you've not slept. I remember it so distinctly having the whole family think they were doing a favor of leaving me for two days for the baby, for me to come home with the baby. And then on day three, they all descended at the same time. And it was like back to back to back every single day, a friend would pop in and they'd all stay. They'd all stay for a cup of tea and to feed the, and to, you know, help me feed the baby and do that. And actually I remember at the end of those two weeks when everyone had got bored of coming over and I was left, I, I was just a mess. You know, I had no boundaries. I said yes to everybody. Whenever people wanted to come over, I was like, yes. You know, I was was not thinking, well, that's when I could sleep or that's when I need to just like have a cup of tea and have my lunch. It was everyone else's needs were before mine. And this is way before, you know, there was now, now I understand that, you know, there's people pleasing there. There's um, not understanding my own energy, not understanding when I needed that decompression, that downtime, how important sleep was. I mean, for me, looking back, sleep in ADHD is like vital. And if I don't get sleep, it has a massive knock-on effect to, to everything. Um, so I have to protect my sleep. And, you know, um, sometimes I don't, and I really notice that. But when you've got a baby, you're not in control. You can have a baby that sleeps amazingly all night, or you have a baby that wakes up every two hours and it feels like torture. And that's every single day for months and months. That's going to have a massive impact, you know, on someone with ADHD. Just a quick reminder that I have built a library resource on the website, which is adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. And I am creating a a hub for you to be able to look for all different types of resources, online workshops. I've got the hormone series, which has now been broken down into individual workshops, which range from thriving with ADHD post-diagnosis, how to avoid burnout. I've got something called the ADHD Holistic Starter Kit, which is three workshops shops in one. I've got things about managing your ADHD nervous system and a three-hour tapping into your ADHD gold workshop. I am trying so hard to curate a a list of different workshops so when you are not getting the help and the support you want from maybe resources locally that you're able to go onto the website and really find what resonates with you right here right now. It's all there and I've tried to make this as accessible as cost-effective as possible for you because this is all about awareness, empowering, helping you advocate for yourself and get the information that you all deserve. So it's all there on my website adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk now back to the episode. I mean, when you're w- working with your clients, do you, what's the sort of the level of time that you start working mm. with them until the end? Like how, what kind of support do you give them? 
Yeah, I think you know the beauty of the doula role is it's it's so flexible, and and that's one of the reasons I love it so much. You know, every client will have different needs, and we'll be able to meet them in different ways. But some people will before they're even pregnant, uh, get in contact because they know that doula support is going to be potentially important for them. Um, Most people will seek out doula support perhaps in the middle of pregnancy. If they know that they would like to have a doula present at the birth, it gives time to, you know, spend some time together antenatally, cover some, I mean, doulas aren't, um, different doulas do different things, but they're not not necessarily kind of, you know, antenatal teachers, but we will obviously talk through the topics around labour and birth that are important to their client and kind of delve into them into a, in a, a deeper level than perhaps might be offered in a in an antenatal group. But obviously, it's it's about becoming companions as well. And um, you well, you want the person who you know answers the phone and then knocks on the door to be with you during your labour to to be a a friend and a trusted companion. So it's about developing that relationship as well. So typically, I'll spend three or more sessions with a client before um, attending their birth, and then postnatally, it can really be whatever it needs to be. I mean, I think a lot of people feel that postnatal support is only in the early days or weeks, but I've supported people six months plus into their life as a new family. It just, it really depends on the individual situation. And a postnatal doula will typically, um, you know, turn up with some nourishing food that's been made and will do whatever needs doing. And that might be taking the baby so that you can have a sleep or have a shower or whatever you need to do. Perhaps you need to run and get some errands done and you and it makes you feel good to do that. Or perhaps you want, as many people do, many people don't actually want the baby to be taken from them. They want somebody to take care of all the rest of the stuff that needs doing. So lighthouse work and yeah, running errands and whatever that might be. And then it's the emotional support and the emotional support actually takes up a huge amount of the role. People want to talk, people want to debrief their births and actually be listened to with compassion and be validated. Often when people tell their birth stories, perhaps friends or family might interject with their own stories and their own opinions. And it's difficult to actually just say what you need to say and to process that experience. So that's a huge part of it as well. And then signposting, you know, we will always signpost clients to other resources postnatally that they might need. That could be uh, breastfeeding uh, support for more complex issues. A lot of doulas can help with the initial kind of attachment and positioning side of things. It might be referring on for mental health support or physio. Yeah, anything that comes up, you know, we will always signpost our clients on. So it's really it's really bespoke to each person's individual needs. And it's it's a gen- generally a long-standing relationship and ultimately friendship. I, I always find it difficult to sort of move on. You know, the clients mm. will, will, will come to the end of their time with me and sort of say goodbye. And I, I find myself really thinking about them a lot and, and wanting to get in touch. And we yeah. do, you know, then continue to to meet for coffees and things because it's a it's a special relationship yeah it really is a special relationship because you know women supporting women it's like biblical we read about it in the red tent and we know how powerful the community of women is there's something magical about having this opportunity to go through something like this and it can be really traumatic you know if you've suffered from morning sickness from the beginning of your pregnancy 
that is really traumatic. And then you felt really poorly for seven or eight months to not have a place to talk about that and not have a, you know, someone who can listen without judgment. Because very often many of us like to tell our, our birth stories, but to have that safe space to, to release it. And when we know when we can externalize, when we can talk. And then we've also got the thing of, you know, if you want to have more kids and our previous pregnancy and childbirth was, was traumatic, there's an element of, of needing to go through that process of, of talking about it to help reduce the anxiety of like, what happens if that happens again? What happens if my sickness is, you know, if just as bad, if not worse? What happens if my birth is the same? Just going through what happens postnatally physically with our body and all the changes and physically with our relationships and all of that to, to know that there's someone like you to offset, to offload is, I think it's huge. And I think it is, you know, without meaning to be too sort of um, dramatic, I think it's um, life changing and possibly life saving as well. And it's just a shame that, you know, doulas are a private service and it's not, I know we have health visitors and I remember having one health visitor who was incredible and she had five children and she went above and beyond when I had my fourth child. But then I'd had health visitors before who I genuinely thought were like watching me to see if I was doing anything wrong. And I was terrified that I was going to wind the baby wrong or I was going to um, put the baby down on in the cots, you know, swaddled incorrectly. And that's, again, for someone, you know, with neurodivergent, oh that yeah. RSD, that flares up, that fear of what happens, you know, if they take my baby away, what happens if they think I'm not coping? I know I'm yeah. throwing lots of things into the mix here, but, you know, lots of things are kind of flooding back to me. Um, yeah, As I remember yeah. as being undiagnosed yeah. and recognising those challenges. We'll come to the positives in a minute, but I just wanted to say, when I talk about that, do you hear this, especially with the anxiety? Do you, do you notice this with your neurodivergent clients? Is there anxiety, something that is recognisable in that specific group? Definitely. I think, I've, you know, most people can identify with experiencing a level of anxiety um, antenatally and postnatally. I mean, it is by the very nature of this uh, time in your life, there's a huge amount of change going on. There's an identity shift and then there's the responsibility for raising another person. And with that brings anxiety. It's, there, there's no doubt about it. But neurodivergent people are often, you know, starting in a place of, of high anxiety as well. And um, that comes from from trying to, you know, cope and manage with living in a world that's very much set up for neurotypical needs and not neurodivergent needs. So yeah, anxiety is a, is a huge thing, and I think the most important thing, or the first step in supporting somebody with anxiety um, perinatally, is that validation. It's 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 validation of what you're going through, of your thoughts. And your feelings, and you know, I also I always bang on about self compassion as well, and I think that's something that's really important to share with people who are experiencing experiencing anxiety. Um, with self compassion is kind of that that moment of mindfulness about about your thoughts and really um, applying humanity to it and recognizing that actually what you're going through is really difficult, and many people in your shoes would also be finding this really challenging and giving yourself some some love and kindness in that moment. But for me, on, in terms of um, doula support in general for neurodivergent people, 
I think having a doula can be hugely impactful. And part of what I'm trying to do with neurodivergent birth is make it more accessible for neurodivergent people. So I have on my website, which is ndbirth.com, a list of doulas, a doula directory. These people are are neurodivergent themselves, or they have been trained in supporting neurodivergent people. And I think that's really key. And I'm, I'm keen to kind of keep building on that. And ultimately, I'd like to be able to offer an access fund so that people who perhaps don't have the means to be able to access private doula support and are neurodivergent can apply for it, um, you know, via ND birth. And, and there are examples of that working elsewhere. For example, in Aberdeen, where I live in the northeast of Scotland, um, I work with a community interest company. We're called Aberdeen Birth Collective. We're a we're a collective of four doulas and we have funding through our local authority to offer free at access uh, support for uh, women and birthing people who are you know, vulnerable in some way. There's different kind of criteria that might be previous trauma, it might be neurodivergence, limited means, um, previous, you know, history of abuse. There's, there's a kind of a long list, unfortunately, of of ways that people might qualify for that support. But the impact of that, Kate, has just been, it has been life-changing for some of the people that we've supported. There's, there's no doubt about it. You know, these are people who don't have any other support and are really struggling at a time which is already, you know, very challenging. And, and we've been able to offer that support for free. So that's the goal, ultimately, is to be able to um, improve access yeah. for neurodivergent people to that level of support. That yeah. sounds incredible. Like, exactly what I was thinking was just like, this is this needs to be so accessible for people. Because as we know, with, you know, the NHS, the way things are here in the UK, it's really hard to to see someone face to face. It's really hard to get that personal, that time. And I remember, you know, my son's 18 now and my youngest is eight. And the difference between each midwife and um, pregnancy, and I used to see the same midwife every single week with my son. And as the years have gone, I wouldn't know who I would see. Um, the weeks would get a bit longer. I would sort of see just different local midwives, whoever was there. There was not that contact, that connection. I didn't feel like she knew who I was. She'd go through my notes and, you know, it was just kind of reading someone else's notes. To know that you've got that sort of long-standing connection, but also support is invaluable. But also to know that as you go through the process and postnatally as well, to ask those questions of, I didn't know about reflux. I didn't know about tongue tie. I thought I was doing something wrong. I didn't know about certain ways of winding a child, the baby, or certain ways of, of the sleep positioning, because I just thought it had to be only on the back and that's it. And all these different things that I have unfortunately just had to learn the hard way that I would have loved to have known, you know, had that support. Um, and looking back, you know, there's long, dark nights where you are pacing the house um, and to know that there's an opportunity to send someone a text or a voice note, you know, all these things now. Um, I, yeah, it really, really does. And I think what you're doing is incredible. It makes me actually really, you know, emotional thinking about it because of, how powerful the, that connection can be for women. Yeah. Um, so I just yeah. want to thank you for that because oh, I look back you. and I think, you know, yeah. 
because it is, you know, you're so close to it, you know, when you've gone through that process and you can look back and just this conversation now just brings up all these, you know, those nights, those days, those mornings. Um, that it was weird because only this week we've been talking about it and my kids were asking me, you know, what you do with the baby, you know, every every day and all of that. And they don't know yeah. why we were talking about it. And I said yeah. that none of you wanted to sleep in your cots during the day. And I was joking about it. I said, I used to just walk and walk and walk. But then on the flip side, that walking, even though I didn't get that time at home, which I could have done with to put a wash on and make dinner and everything, I walked probably for two hours every day pushing a buggy. And that for me was my mental health savior um, because I was getting outside, I was exercising. I felt much better, like the dopamine was there. You know, again, this is way before my diagnosis, but I kind of think if I didn't have the walking, I wonder where I would have been from a mental health perspective. I want to leave this conversation with like hope and yeah. um, also with positivity around our neurodivergence and the, and the childbirth experience and the, and the pregnancy experience. What are you noticing from that perspective of what can we bring to the table that is different mm. and, you know, positive in this experience? Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's so important to also talk about the positives because there are positives and and we can become uh, too fixated on what's difficult and yeah. uh, we need to look at the at the whole picture for me every everybody that i you know have spoken to and worked with who is neurodivergent has been so passionate about learning and becoming as informed as possible about birth and i think that's so important i think um you know sort of going into labor and birth with uh, an attitude of what will be will be is is often problematic and it leads to um trauma in many instances because we do need to know our choices this is your birth it's so important it's about your body your mind and body and soul and that of your family and your baby and to to go into it with to be able to make informed choices because you've done your research i think is really key and you know that that applies to the the postnatal period as well i mean hyper focus is an interesting thing right it can in some ways it become, can become all consuming to a point of it being an issue if it contributes to levels of anxiety or the rest of of life just drops away so you're not you know, going to your appointments and you're not eating when you need to be eating and hydrating yourself because you're so focused on a topic. But it also means that um, many people who are hyper-focused on uh, postnatal topics are are just, yeah, doing absolutely everything they can for their kids to learn everything they can to um, to feed potentially. Um, and I think that's an amazing thing. So uh, having that knowledge and that passion for for um, pregnancy, birth and parenthood is amazing. I think it's so interesting going back to the the sensory side of things again, because um, we often talk about sensory avoidance and how the postnatal time can be so difficult from a sensory point of view and overwhelming. But lots of people have reported to me, lots of new parents have said what a sensory joy that time was, you know, being in that bubble where it's just you and your newborn asleep on your chest and you're on the sofa, 
watching Netflix or whatever you're doing. And I know that's, that doesn't encompass the whole postnatal experience because there's a lot of other things going on. But people really get a lot of uh, sensory seeking. People can really experience a huge amount of sensory joy, the pressure, the warmth of the baby, feeling their baby's heartbeat, listening to their breathing. I think if you're, um, yeah, if you have sensory sensitivities that differ from your neurotypical peers in that sense, that can the sensory joy of that time can be um, amazing and something yeah. to be celebrated actually yeah, yeah absolutely absolutely I mean I definitely remember the, those days where I just used to smell my baby's neck so I just yeah loved that smell of the <laughs> I still sniff my kids it's not always good but yeah. <laughs> it's just and that it is the cuddling and the 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 just the love the unconditional love and you know I know that it's not always that case, but for me, I was just, I loved that bubble. I love that bubble of, of, yeah. of a newborn and um, it made everything else worthwhile when, you know, when we had that time where I was, I mean, I personally, I, I loved breastfeeding and I know that's also, you know, something that is very, very different and very personal, but I do wonder now if that was, you know, I really felt that connection, I felt like a deep, deep connection. Um, when the milk came, you know, comes in and you kind of almost get that, like, I know there's a word for it and I don't know what it is. And it's like that one or two minutes when the, when the milk comes in and it's almost like a euphoria, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And yes. I've heard that yeah. with neurodivergent parent mothers, um, it, it's more intensified. Um, I read yeah. about that. I, I don't think, I think this experience is often more intensified and people have reported things like, Many people might not want to feed in the middle of TK Maxx because that's really, you know, there's a lot of people there. And How it's do you not know I love TK Maxx? <laughs> <laughs> but somebody reported to me that actually feeding when they were out and about was the perfect thing for her to regulate. If she felt overwhelmed by people, by noises of being in a in a busy place, and then she fed her baby, it's like the world just kind of closed in. It felt like this bubble formed around them and they the oxytocin was flowing and they really had this kind of intense and very regulating experience. So yeah, I think I think that side of it's really interesting as well. Yeah. And I just, you know, I remember again, not knowing ADHD and seeing my friends who were bottle feeding. And I was thinking, how are they mm. so organized? They've got to put all the bottles, sterilize with the water and they've got to remember the powder. And so for me, from an executive functioning side, breastfeeding was much easier because I didn't have to plan and it didn't have to be organized because I just could go out and always know that there was milk on tap. And so for me, you know, looking back, I kind of think that's why I chose to breastfeed because the bottles and organizing all of that was was tricky for me. Um, again, you know, all these different little things where we find these loopholes and these hacks that work for us. And we have to find, you know, as, as mothers, um, routines and structures that sometimes the books, you know, don't talk about. Again, you know, back back in the day, I was, um, there was Gina Ford. I mean, I, I literally used to read that oh book gosh. and just want to throw it <laughs> out the window. I, I had like, like to say something stronger. But, <laughs> but I, I, there was a visceral reaction to her book to me. It was yeah. really, it was just like, how can this woman tell me to be so structured and so routine led? Like, how can... And then I realized, you know, the empowerment came in on, on baby number two, that there's just no way I'm doing this. I'm being told and being punished and, you know, made to feel guilty for not sticking to this routine. And then I, I do think this is maybe a neurodivergent thing is that we are, 
Once we trust in our structures and our routine, it may not look like what other people do, but when we trust and we see the results that we've got, happy babies and, and thriving babies, and even though they're not on that same routine, it's okay to do things our way and it's okay yeah. to lean into our intuition and trust oh, that definitely. it's okay. It's okay to do yeah. things differently. And yeah. that in itself takes so much pressure off, doesn't it? I think intuition is something that we've really lost touch with. Mm. And it's no wonder, I mean, we have access to so many opinions online and and our tendency is to want validation in what we're doing. So we'll go onto Facebook and ask the opinion of a stranger thousands of miles away about what to do for our baby and our family. Um, we don't often take that opportunity to just really sit with it and think, okay, what what's important here for me? And I think as well, what you're saying about what works for you, working for you is, is really key for neurodivergent families as well. Because I, I mean, as a mom of a neurodivergent person, little person, I know that when she was a baby, her sensory seeking behaviors were were there from the beginning, right? So she was a baby that that was, you know, had intense kind of sensory needs, even at the very, the very start. So the routines would never have worked. And we had to do a lot of kind of wild things to soothe her and um, kind of strange dances for hours on end in the baby carrier and the hair dryer was on, which I don't recommend, that's not safe. <laughs> you know, there was all kinds of, it, it was very difficult to soothe her at times. And I think that's an important as well. You know, neurodivergent parents do often have neurodivergent babies and their needs and the ways that they are soothed and the routines that they end up following may look very different to what you're reading in the books. And just knowing that and being aware of that and being flexible around that can really help people to not feel the shame and the anxiety around their individual situations. Yeah, absolutely. I just think, you know, do things your way. If your baby's happy and it's thriving and it's sleeping in that way, then, you know, nothing lasts forever. And there's always going to be like another structure that we, you know, we, we need to, you know, abide by because when they start weaning and all those different things. And I remember driving up and down the motorway. I remember putting white noise on, on my phone. I remember, like you say, dancing around the house at three o'clock in the morning and giving them the textures that they like and the dummies that they like. And if it wasn't that specific dummy, we'd have to run out to a, you know, a midnight pharmacy to get that dummy. And I look back and it, absolutely, we're going to have kids who are probably neurodivergent as well. And to almost be accepting of that, that their needs are going to be maybe very intense for us. But at the same time, when we find those things that work, um, it can really be, you know, very helpful for us as parents. I just want to thank you so much for this conversation. I feel like I've gone through some form thank of like you, healing therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm the same. I mean, that's what brought me to this work was having had, you know, really challenging experiences. And I think I think it's important that as a doula, that's not my main driving force because this isn't about my healing through other people's experiences. You know, my clients' needs are always going to be different and their stories and what what's right for them is is always going to be the most important thing. But but no, I see the value in this work absolutely, and that and that's why I do it. And and yeah, if if anybody is is listening that is 
um, kind of at this stage in their life, I would just recommend that they seek out the people who who understand and uh, listen to the podcast. And that's a good place to start and, and, and feel validated in your experience because that makes all the difference to how how you how you start your life together as a family when you've got that good foundation of kind of good emotional well-being at the beginning yeah, yeah. so can you direct people to your podcast and your website and just how they can yeah. get in touch with you so um on instagram i'm at neurodivergent birth which is all one word and then we're www.ndbirth.com um, I work with another doula, Sam Shepherd. She is an autistic advocate as well. And we run a workshop for birth workers. So if there's any birth workers listening, midwives, doulas, hypnobirthing instructors who want to improve their understanding of support needs for neurodivergent people perinatally, then that's a good place to start. But yeah, for neurodivergent people, uh, listen to the podcast, come and join the conversation on Instagram and uh, stay tuned for, for workshops in the new year, specifically for neurodivergent pregnant people. Amazing. Thank you so, so <laughs> much. I really hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did and it resonated with you, I would absolutely love it if you could share on your platforms or maybe leave a review and a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please do check out my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk for lots of free resources and paid for workshops. I'm uploading new things all the time and I would absolutely love to see you there. Take care and see you for the next episode.